0: Today. welcome to you guys five movies podcast this is one of your co-hosts chris gasper this is frank pelican uh today is february 11th that is uh 3 days after your your heir's birthday it is 2 days before super bowl 56 uh 3 days before valentine's day of 2022 and i'm contextualizing this because frank is doing a fucking comedy episode tonight mm. episode 1 137 top five comedies of the 1990s I don't know when the last time we actually did a real co- full comedy episode Frank I think it's been like two and a half years maybe what was the last one I don't know maybe it's like romantic comedies or something like that mm, that feels like that was longer ago than that it's like in the I don't know 20s I think um, episode,
1: like 20 yeah, That's only 20s. and fish only... out of water was like uh, 14 or something 100 and some odd episodes is fine. <laughs> it's about how often they have to happen all right
0: so how so is, so i i locked you in this month to two different comedy episodes right. comedies of the 90s and then next next week we're going to cover the uh top five uh black uh comedy movies and
1: i was thinking about that today mm-hmm. do you think we should call it comedies by black creators like do you think that's the better way to say it are they all black creators did you look that up i don't know but there's black talent in all of them okay Um, i only say that because when i I was thinking about black comedies like i think of like Shaun of the dead is like a black comedy. i I explained i
0: I explained to you if you look up black comedies it depends on the exact wording that you put in how google like comes back with results but it seems as i did research on what the appropriate term was it does seem that it's being referred to as black comedies for both types right. of black comedies so but i did see more often black comedy movies or black comedy films mm. was used more often to describe those with black talent so um so that's well, now I that we're explaining that.
1: it at the beginning of this podcast maybe everybody right, everybody right everybody prepped
0: um yeah maybe maybe i'll put in like the the comments next week it'll be like you know this is about movies with black people in them and then that way like people that um are racist and you know all
1: that kind of stuff will just like stay know, away yeah move on um we don't want them listening to anyone. or give us a hate um, listen while they're <laughs> on their fucking trucks in canada <laughs> oh. all right so
0: comedies in the 1990s he got five movies here and yeah. i think this podcast also deserves this episode at least deserves an asterisk in the sense that in the past year we have talked about some movies i think or at least previous on the podcast we've talked about some movies that probably would have made this list oh yeah 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 there's there's quite a few so just like a couple months ago we talked about defending your life which is the albert brooks comedy which probably would have made this list
1: correct Yeah. yeah i love that movie
0: I'm assuming maybe when we talked to Elmore Leonard movies last fall, Get Shorty might have made this list.
1: So here's one of the weird distinctions with me, like I know Get Shorty is a comedy but it's like a hybrid comedy to me. Like a crime comedy? Yeah, like a noir, modern like neo-noir comedy or gangster. I I don't know. I mean, I know it's a comedy because it makes you laugh a lot, but it also is I'm, I'm going to use this term, and I don't mean it to be derogatory, but it was also is like a hipster movie in a lot of ways, especially at the time because of the snappy dialogue and the, I don't know, meh, it's a comedy, it's fine, and it probably would have made the list that so we never talked about it. Um, what about Bob? We talked about with a friend of the
0: podcast, Jason oh, yeah. Easter, like three years ago almost, or something like that, and um, that yeah. would have made the list. 100%. Um, would i know we talked about on different podcasts would the big lebowski have made the list
1: um i consider big lebowski a comedy
0: what the fuck do you consider
1: Mm, (laughs) an existential mediation meditation on um i don't know forgiveness and revenge maybe okay that's um i it to me like okay so this is gonna sound real fucking pretentious but Mm the Coen brothers are making Coen brothers movies. They're not necessarily making comedies. Even if a Coen brothers movie is a comedy or has comedic elements, it transcends just that title. So, so
0: you, you'll, you'll do, you'll do some, some work, won't you to not classify something as a comedy? Um, makes it right in my head. <laughs> gonna, justify your, gotta your, your, your life of, of a movie. Yeah. Um, so would you feel the same way about something like fear and loathing not being a comedy yeah i don't consider fear and
1: loathing a comedy
0: gotcha how would you I, what, is I, I that, what is that a meditation or
1: that's um either a literary adaptation or a biopic <laughs> hilarious fucking hilarious um
0: all right so
1: i, I actually had a whole i actually had a whole spiel to explain this and you just like stole all my shit so i don't know <laughs> I was going to go through I was going to go through a process and talk about like how I classify movies and how I like figure these things out but you know fuck it just just you know go into the movies or whatever I guess be a 15 minute podcast <laughs> um can I ask you a question yeah yeah how do you make these distinctions no without- oh. um anytime you give me anytime we decide on a list topic i have gut reaction choices so there's at least like three or four movies that immediately come to mind and i say okay so they go on my phone on my and like a notepad and then i do a search and i usually try and do wikipedia like by year or by decade or whatever by classification sometimes and i try and go through that And I give those lists, especially for year lists, like this one, I had to go year by year because that's how they have them separated out. Mm. So I go through and I pull out stuff that immediately I'm like, okay, yeah, that's, that's an important movie, or that was a really popular movie, or I actually enjoyed that movie, which much more difficult doing this list. Um, And then I go back through it a second time and I try and really think about like, is this something, basically my criteria is, does this movie matter to me or is this something i'd want to watch again um so for this list like i actually had a pretty sizable what i call my short list when i started and it's like 20 some movies um yeah and that wasn't even including some stuff that i left off just because like i don't have get shorty on my short list because i you know we've talked about that several times right and then one time like super in-depth so i didn't think we needed to talk about it again but there was a decent amount that made this list mm-hmm. i think the misconception is that we always talk about me hating comedies and like I play into that, but I don't hate comedies. I just hate most comedies. Like if I like a comedy, I really like it. And there's some comedies mm-hmm. I've watched, you know, I mean, I've seen Napoleon dynamite like six or seven times. Cause I love that movie. And it makes me laugh every time I watch it. Um, so every movie on this list is a movie that I had at least seen once and enjoyed. And in several cases I'd seen more than once, Um And ones that I thought like, oh yeah, like I'd I'd like to see that again. Because it's been a long time since I'd seen mm, every one of these movies but one, Mm -hmm. I think. Um And I also try and find like I don't like a reason for putting a movie on a list. Like you can't just be like, Oh yeah, this movie's like I like it. Like there has to be something that I'd want to talk about with the movie. So sure. If you want to like talk about short lists, aside from the ones that you mentioned, there's things like Soap Dish, which I think is a really funny movie. And I really enjoyed when I was a kid. Um,
0: yeah, I don't think I saw the full short list
1: for this. So I'd be I never yeah. Um And then stuff like, so again, like Ed Wood, which we've already talked about, which also to me is like a biopic more than a comedy.
0: Yeah. I,
1: um, I wouldn't even classify that as comedy myself. Really? I yeah. think it's pretty funny at times also like yeah um it also was on wikipedia's list of comedies so Hmm. those, you know the brady bunch movie is one that you really enjoy that i I think is that i think is a pretty funny movie particularly the very brady
0: sequel is the one i
1: like the most yeah and i you know i think those movies are funny but i just don't know what i would ever say about um Mm -hmm. i left the kevin smith stuff off which you know Mm -hmm. those are comedies but to me like that's uh we do an indie comedy list someday or, you know, whatever. Right. Like influential indie movies of the nineties or something, you know, like those mm-hmm. will make that list. Sure. And then there's shit like, um, like rumble in the Bronx, like yeah, the okay. Jackie Chan stuff, which have comedic elements, but I think there's a good list in action comedies at some point. Right. Um, so, you know, like I try and keep those things in mind, you know, cause I don't want to, I don't want to yeah, basically shoot that, our, like shoot I, I do on a. it dry
0: run so <laughs> on a, to speak. Yeah, so six feet i don't even think rumble in the bronx i just see it as an action movie that has some comedic elements in it
1: i think it's i think there's a big element of slapstick in yeah. especially those early to mid 90s jackie chan movies so like operation condor and rumble in the bronx and um uh, shit there was the other one police story mm-hmm. um th- there's many things in those movies that are meant to impress you And at the same time, make you laugh because of their. Yeah, I guess. You know, I mean, anytime you hit somebody in the nuts with a rake or something.
0: Yeah, I guess I just, I'm just, yeah, I kind of dismiss a lot of slapstick. I guess often. To me, to me, rush hour is an action comedy, even if it's not
1: like that great. It's an action comedy, but there's verbal comedy in it, and that's why I think I, yeah. So there's there's a few movies that I struggled with that I really thought about putting on this list, but again, I just think there's. I think there's some better forum to talk about them. Um, so Kingpin being one because I really love Kingpin and I think Kingpin is hilarious. Yeah, I had that on my list. Here. Um, Austin Powers is another one that like okay. I would like to talk about someday. Okay. Um, and I especially think the first Austin Powers has a really good subversive sense of humor to it
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, before it became you know a multi multi million dollar franchise. Um, I think there's some edginess to that first movie Mm -hmm. Uh, election, which is another movie that has come Mm -hmm. close to like several lists because I really love that movie. Um, And especially as a dark comedy, like I think it's, it's pretty amazing. Uh, And office space, which I really enjoy too, but Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's just one of those things where it's, it's, it ends up just being number one, my gut telling me this is a movie that I want to put on the list Mm -hmm. or in the case of these five movies, um, I think there's kind of a, a through line to some of them. And they're all stuff that I really, really enjoyed when they came out, like all five of these movies um, made me laugh and affected me in some way. Um, Although really one of the movies, I don't know how much of a comedy it is. Dramedy maybe is a better way for it. Uh, Yeah, but we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. But in retrospect like when i was retconning my decision making process to make myself feel better about it um i found a really i have a really good thing i want to talk about with that in another movie on the list so but we'll get there right so okay i'll get to that in a second so let me just
0: finish off you you mentioned a number of the ones that i just wanted to mention to you on my list so um but i still have some left just to get your quick thoughts on like of like some of you, I think you hate, probably. So,
1: uh Birdcage. I don't hate the Birdcage. I just don't think it's very funny. Yeah. I, 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 think in, the, I think in
0: hindsight, some of it's pretty offensive, too. Yeah,
1: I found the Birdcage to be offensive when it came out. Yeah. Vaguely offensive in the sense mm-hmm. that I was like, why is it why is it funny just because these, these dudes are gay? Like, that's not... I don't know. I don't know yeah uh dumb and dumber i don't really think dumb and dumber is that funny yeah actually i don't think that dumb and dumber i think dumb and dumber is funnier if you quote it in real life hmm. you know like kick his ass sea bass or whatever i mean like that stuff when you mm-hmm. say like you can get a laugh out of it but when you're watching it i just don't find it to be you know it's 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 not my cup of tea and i hate jim carrey okay so
0: leads me into my next question like you know about Jim Carrey (laughs) comedies from the 90s but like probably the one that really
1: broke him through was Ace Ventura so I there's a couple things in, especially the first Ace Ventura that I laugh at when I see it and I've seen Ace Ventura maybe like three or four times against my will Hmm. um
0: Jesus okay
1: my my favorite Jim Carrey comedy from the 90s is The Cable Guy like Mm, I think it's I think it's his best and then like the Truman Show like I think the Truman Show is a good movie Mm -hmm. but so here's another distinction too and we'll just to kind of like expand upon my um, not disdain but like how why a comedy really has to do something for me to enjoy it like Jim Carrey is not playing a character most of the time Jim Carrey is playing Jim Carrey and it's the same thing with like Will Ferrell, you know, like there's some Will Ferrell movies that I like a lot, but for the most part to me, Will Ferrell is just playing Will Ferrell, you know. Mm-hmm. Fucking Talladega Nights, that's just Will Ferrell doing a bit. Right. And I just don't find I don't find actors I like I, I like stand-up if stand-up is good, but But, but those I, are sketch actors Right. And it's mostly So to me, it's like I think the first couple of times you see a really good sketch comedian do a bit it makes you laugh you know Mm -hmm. and you can you can like for me anyway like i can appreciate it but you can't do the same thing for 20 years and have it still remain funny it's like okay i've seen that joke so when will ferrell does something completely different like i think elf is a great movie um we've talked about the other guys on the channel and i really love the other guys um I think when he breaks out of like just being himself, that he can do good things. But ultimately, so here's a really good example. I was thinking about this today. Um, I can't remember what talk show it was on and you'll remember because you and I used to watch these, but him doing Ricardo Montalban, right? A Completely a character, not breaking that character. That's who it was, right? Ricardo Montalban? Or no, it was... Um, uh,
0: Robert Goulet.
1: Yeah, Robert Goulet. Yeah, he's right? on Conan, yeah. Uh-huh. Doing, doing that Goulet shit. Yeah. And not breaking character, and completely yeah. just immersing himself in being, a and pissing Conan clone. off because he was obviously
0: like doing some sort of um uh,
1: the Andy Kaufman
0: type thing almost. Right, right. Complete
1: mm. like I don't know um whatever like outsider art imitation of like another human being, and like never breaking character with it. That stuff is funny to me because it's absurd. But <clears throat> Will Ferrell being. Ricky Bobby that's just Will Ferrell doing a bit and it's a bit that it's just a riff on the same character that he had done you know like whatever like in almost every fucking Will Ferrell comedy Mm -hmm. affable idiot with a heart of gold who's going to make some mistakes but have his redemption story because ultimately good triumphs over evil you know what I mean in the most banal way possible like fuck that shit like I don't care about that what what do you think the difference is because like they're there's actors that i think that come from
0: the improv sketch world that you really like a lot in a lot of the things they do not necessarily maybe in movies um but somebody like, somebody like will arnett that i know you, that you like a lot like what do you think the distinction is between somebody like him and a will Ferrell or jim carrey to you in terms of why they can you can still usually find them pretty funny in different different roles and different things there's a
1: because there's a Self-deprecation to Will Arnett all the time, where Will Arnett is making himself the butt of the joke to make you laugh. He's not trying and to get himself over. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Farrell is always trying to be. It's always with a smirk and a nod, like, "Hey, look how funny I am," you mm-hmm. know, like wink at the camera, kind of thing. You know, yeah. and it's like it's not about that. It's about. Yeah. So we, you and I, talked off air about Murderland on Netflix. Which I think is pretty, it's is uneven at times in the episodes I've watched, but every episode has good moments. Mm-hmm. And a big part of that is, Wilf, is Will Arnett, like, completely immersing himself and never breaking character, right? Very seldomly mm-hmm. breaking character and, mm-hmm. like, laughing at the bit because he's willing to debase himself right. to elevate the other person that's doing the show with him, you know, and yeah. I always think that Will Ferrell just kind of feels like, like a more likable modern day Chevy Chase, where like he's always got to be the coolest dude in the room. And I just I don't I don't I think, I think I don't, it's I why like Phil Hartman works so well too as a sketch
0: uh, comedy actor, like in so many different roles, is because it was always about getting the other person over as opposed to themselves. Right. Right. Yeah. I just well, for
1: that. Phil Hartman also would completely give himself over to the character mm-hmm. even mm-hmm. if the character was similar because it was always phil hartman there just was i don't know and we'll talk about this with the first two movies honestly sure yeah funny.
0: that's that's you're right you're right so let me one just of the things three right. more
1: movies and then we're
0: done okay. um
1: american pie
0: massively popular
1: i thought american pie was really funny the first time i saw it but it's almost it's almost the law of diminishing returns of that movie because number one it was so popular when it came out that everybody quoted it incessantly Mm -hmm. and then because there were so many sequels to it and things that were just riffs on american pie that to me it almost lost some of its impact that i don't know that it can ever be as good as it was the first time that you see it Mm -hmm. i mean you're talking about so many memes like before memes were an internet thing like cultural memes that people would say to each other. Sure. I mean, there's a whole industry of pornography that's basically created by a bit in American pie, you know what I mean? Right. Like the idea of MILFs or whatever is something that like became hugely I don't know, popularized or whatever, I guess. Yeah, it's part of the
0: vernacular now, like of just culture. I mean
1: yeah and it comes just from this this comedy and there's a lot of really funny things in that movie i think but it's also so here's a here's a good analogy for american pie um and listeners were talking more because seriously this podcast would have been like 45 minutes long i think otherwise um it's the difference between a well-crafted sense of dread and foreboding in a horror movie and a jump scare right Mm -hmm. like american pie is the jump scare of comedy in that like oh his dick's in that pie oh she's naked oh she put a flute flute in her vagina you know like that's that's the jump scare of comedy it's, it's the shocking immediacy of like a single joke that you don't expect whereas defending your life for instance is a well-crafted universe that builds this romance between between two people naturally by making you like the characters and wanting them to be together right like there's there's no jump scare of comedy in fucking um uh defending your life yeah so makes sense uh naked gun i love the naked gun movies when i was a kid i don't know i mean i don't think they're funny at all anymore mm-hmm. um and we've talked about this with other things like i i hate shit that's just some of the
0: absurdist stuff i think when i think back on it i i think i think i find it funnier now than i did then but a lot of the stuff i found funny then i fucking hate now i think
1: so there's things like um like leslie nielsen pretending to be enrico palazzo you know what i mean right that's that's still funny right both in execution and just in theory um i don't know it's it's like airplane you know what i mean they're blazing saddles like they're movies that the very first time you see it and i think you have to be at just the right age and context to truly appreciate them because one of the things with the um what was the naked gun production crew called it wasn't splitting image because that was the ones oh damn it why uh but anyway those people right they always had this blend of very specific pop culture humor related to what was going on at the time the movie was filmed and then pop culture humor that was so dated that if you don't get it it's just not funny and I'm not a big fan of um really on the nose filmmaking where it's so rooted in a moment or an idea because some of those scary movie movies are funny the first time you see them but like as a Mambo number well, a Mambo number five joke would probably be still funny today. <laughs> but but you know what I mean? Like Yeah. Yeah. Like you really have to specifically have a an association with that thing for the joke to make sense and, and be funny. And it's like when you make a movie that you root so specifically in a time or cultural movement or ideology, you're gonna tend to lose some impact with it, you know, going forward. And I'm a big fan of stuff that has you know lasting impact so i sure. like look i've seen all the naked gun movies in the theater i laughed my ass off mm-hmm. when i was 13 14 years old but it's not necessarily something i go back and find funny today yeah
0: all right last one um galaxy quest call uh, game called status over time um, you know i hate
1: that fucking movie get out of here do you i don't hate I don't it I, just I don't
0: care i just don't care about it we don't oh, ever so, talk
1: about it because i don't want you to put it on a fucking list oh so it goes on an indifferent list do i already have that on
0: to it's definitely um, an, i
1: i don't hate it because i think there's a really good you know um who is that rickman and not rickman um
0: yeah he's in it he's the yeah, alien yeah
1: right rickman and sigourney weaver and uh shit
0: it's, i don't uh, know
1: tim taylor tim allen right um, tim so, allen yeah so here's here's the backstory of galaxy quest we weren't, we weren't, we didn't exhibit Galaxy Quest or Regal Cinemas because New Line was fucking us over, or whoever produced it was fucking us over, over Rush Hour I think, and so we refused to exhibit their movies, and that included Galaxy Quest, whoever the production company of Galaxy Quest is, that's so I never saw it in the theater, Hmm. and then we got Galaxy Quest for like, like eventually they worked out a deal so they could exhibit like Rush Hour or whatever and we got Galaxy Quest for like a week and I never, I didn't see it. And then somebody made me watch it on DVD like five years later. And I guess I just, it wasn't in the mood for it and I just didn't enjoy it that much. And that was really in my anti- sci-fi days because the other thing that I secretly hate is like super deep Hmm. sci-fi. And I also, no offense to your wife, but I fucking hate Star Trek like a lot. So, you know, I don't hate Star Trek. I just don't care. I don't care. Yeah. I don't care about the peaceful exploration of space. I want to see I, some I, aliens
0: or have some weird ass I don't, like, I don't,
1: I don't. I don't care for it either. So existentialism yeah. going on with my space shit. Yeah.
0: All right. Don't talk so, about quasars and shit. Uh, All right. So you want to do things a little differently tonight. Um, and we're not doing like necessarily like a top five countdown per se right so you want to kind of like lump some of these movies together and talk about them in a different way um yeah the only thing i'll ask you to do out of this top five when we get to the end is to
1: make a list for me of like one through five um in terms of, in just your of enjoyment enjoyment yeah okay yeah, yeah.
0: Okay. that's actually right.
1: how i originally had it ordered and then when i was thinking about it today i was like you know what like i kind of don't want to do that so okay so Do you want me to introduce
0: both of these together? Yeah, that's a good way to do it. All right. So um, the first two movies that we're going to discuss, both Adam Sandler vehicles. So the first is 1996's Happy Gilmore. It's directed by Dennis Duggan and co-stars Christopher McDonald, Julie Bowen, Francis Bay, and Carl Weathers. It has a 61% from critics and 85% from audiences. And then the second movie is 1998's The Wedding Singer. It is directed by Frank... Karachi uh, and co stars Drew Barrymore, Christine Taylor, Alan Covert, and Matthew Glave. Both movies are written by longtime um, associate of Sandler, Tim Hurley. Uh, who also wrote Waterboy, Billy Madison, Big Daddy, little Nicky, um and Mr. Deeds. It has a uh, mm. has a sixty nine percent from critics and an eighty percent from audiences. So why did you choose to include both of these Sandler movies on this
1: list? let me um let me preface this conversation by saying that low-key, Mr. Mm-hmm. Deeds might be my favorite Sandler comedy. It's because of Totoro, right? And um
0: Buscemi oh yeah yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah is fucking amazing is
1: <clears throat> yes i i really enjoy that movie quite yeah, a bit sure all right so the first reason i included them was because i really enjoy both of these movies mm-hmm. uh especially when they came out but the funny thing is hearing you talk about this and i didn't realize this until i watched them both again this week i would have told you that i thought that happy gilmore was like 94 And Wedding Singer was 99. Like I thought there was at least five years of difference between Mm. those two movies coming out.
0: Yeah, Billy Madison was
1: 94. I always get Madison and Happy Gilmore mixed up in the Mm. order that they came out. I think it's amazing to see the change in him as a comedian just in those two years. Sure. And between these two movies. Because Sandler, to me... So, born in 77... So my real Saturday Night Live heyday was when Sandler was a contributing actor on the show. Um mm-hmm. Opera Man, um what was his name? The Boy Scout guy that oh you got oh, right. the yeah Yeah guess. So we're talking the about the, the
0: Far Farley Spade, Sandler, right um, young Tim
1: no. Meadows, Phil Hartman. Neilin, Phil Neyland, Hartman. Right, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Mike Myers still being on the show, right. Dana Carvey still yeah. being on the mm-hmm. show. Those are the episodes that I that and Kids in the Hall. That was my sketch comedy yeah. when I was a teenager, sort of. So I love Sandler. Um and when I saw Billy Madison and Happy Gilmore, and I in I put Happy Gilmore because I enjoy it more overall as a movie. I think it's got funnier bits in it, you know. I just it, it made me laugh really hard. I thought that it was i liked him a lot so kind of that um that unhinged sort of everyman character that he plays i thought was really funny Mm -hmm. and then subsequently seeing the wedding singer i thought the wedding singer was legitimately just a really sweet well-done movie Mm -hmm. with a great soundtrack and really good performances and just overall you know pretty much a classic romantic romantic comedy in the way that it's built you know and plays out and the ending of it um and again like i i i love the i I love the music of the 80s so i thought that it showed really great um taste in the move, the songs that he selected or whoever selected them to be in the movie so i saw the wedding stinger like four times in the theater um and owned it on dvd and have seen it probably i would say without exaggeration this is probably the 12th or 13th time i've seen the wedding singer in my life um because i really enjoy it i think it's a really fun movie Mm -hmm. um and again very different than that abrasive brash comedy from what i would have considered like five or six years before we're really crazy that it was only two years before Mm -hmm. that really relies on again this is the jump scare comedy is what adam sandler was doing in happy gilmore you know the price is wrong bitch you pieces of shit for breakfast Mm -hmm. um carl carl weathers like hand constantly falling you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. this and the yelling yeah yeah so i'm i'm gonna get to that because that's one of my things with sandler Mm. the first time you see sandler and really i think that it's really apparent in billy madison but he does it a lot in happy gilmore Mm -hmm. where adam sandler will set his jaw and talk from like the back of his throat and it's a low almost like nasal whiny growl that increases to this like guttural roar and that's the adam sandler comedy bit right? right and get in your hole you belong in your home mm-hmm. are you you know what i mean like mm-hmm. those things with the the kermit the frog twist of the voice and stuff like that yeah. the first time you see adam sandler do that if you've never seen adam sandler do it or it's still fresh like it's really fun mm-hmm. and it because it catches you off guard it's like because he has that weird almost monotone hangdog, or not hangdog, like droopy droopy dog voice kind of when he's just talking normally right and then he has that moderate like accent too, that's kind of in there and then it's just that eruption of anger and that's a pretty big part of of happy gilmore is is the shift between those two um those two extremes right they actually work it
0: into the character
1: this time. right right because that's that's his you know he is a he's he's a hockey player and he's right. rough and he's uncultured and jagged edges and can erupt into anger and it's his you know his his tutelage through Carl Weathers and his love for his grandmother and the lady that kind of um steers him on the course and lets him like subvert his anger so then the guy the cool guy the guy that's the bully and always coming out on top is the one that breaks down right you know shooter mcgavin um one of my favorite comedy villains of all time by the way like i love fucking shooter mcgavin as a villain
0: i i I will say this is that i think one of the secretly best things about sandler movies a lot of times is their casting of the villains oh yeah i think that um bradley whitford and billy madison is a really great villain i think that uh chris mcdonald's a really great villain here like I think they're really good at casting those villain movies. Matthew Glave is really good, I think, as like just the ultimate fucking asshole in Wedding Singer. Right?
1: It's and it and it's so this is why I like Wedding Singer so much because Sandler only uses the there's the one scene where he's just gotten broken up with by his fiance and hilarious scene when he's drunk at the wedding singing Love Stinks. And completely unhinged and drunk. And then when his fiance comes up to him and these are things that I could have known yesterday, Mm -hmm. but that's really the only time where he does that because every other time he's kind of controlled and he's just playing, he's playing a character more than he's playing Adam Sandler. And so that's why like latter day Adam Sandler movies, I don't really find funny because I think that's just all he's doing is being Adam Sandler. So, you and I both love Punch Drunk Love. I think mm-hmm. it's a fantastic movie. And it's another one where that's him a- acting and playing a character. I do not like um, Uncut Gems, but it's him playing a character. Like it's yeah, a good absolutely. performance and a yes. great portrayal. Right. I just don't enjoy the movie. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is going to be really small, but um, Undeclared. There's that one mm-hmm. episode of Undeclared where Adam Sandler's just playing himself. Yeah. and it's just funny he just comes across mm-hmm. as you know a person and funny and early on in his career with the the quiet loud quiet and the unhinged and the again you know like you can see like his jaw like shift down and his bottom teeth jump forward and he makes that weird like poor man's bobcat gold noise come out of his mouth and i don't know yeah um but in these early movies while it was still fresh like i think it's still fine and i i still think wedding singer is as his a vehicle for him outside of you know punch drunk love which is i think more credit to anderson than than adam sandler um i think it's his best vehicle and his best character um yeah. and i think his best romantic pairing because i think that him and um drew barrymore have some weird like super they do um just naturalistic chemistry when they're on screen together they absolutely do
0: i love Um, 50 first dates like yeah i'm not ashamed to admit it like
1: no um, i mean it's 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 a really sweet movie and again they work really well together Mm -hmm. um and that's that's the thing that always like kind of sells sandler is when he has and i don't necessarily think that the uh the chemistry between him and what's her name and um happy gilmore is that great no but it's, it's actually the worst part of the movie i think right well, it it just feels the stiffest in the movie. Yeah, like it's yeah. the stiffest interactions. But that's more, I think, because of her. Honestly, it, it is, and it's really weird because it's like it's worse than
0: the character. Um, I can't remember her name from Billy Madison. It's actually the chemistry's worse. Right. But Julie Bowen's a better actress than that actresses and Billy Madison. Like, so it's really weird. It's it, it's just it's a chemistry issue, I believe.
1: Um, but. But for the the early Adam Sandler, I don't know, shock comedy, which really, if you look at Billy Madison and Happy Gilmore, and even the Waterboy to an extent, there's a plot to all those movies, but they end up just being kind of a series of interconnected sketches that sort of just roll to a conclusion. Um, And I think that that Happy Gilmore is the best of those three Mm -hmm. in terms of doing that, Um, where to me... The Wedding Singer is a real, like, full fledged narrative movie, and that's kind of why I like yeah. Mr. Deeds too, because Mr. Deeds feels like more of just a an, an absurdist comedy as opposed to a series. Like, I don't, I don't hate Big Daddy, but Big Daddy is a series of sketches to me. You know, it's, it's I here's agree. the Hooters joke. Here they're pissing on a wall. Yeah. Here's the joke about you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, Little Nicky's probably the worst oh. offender of that. <sighs> yes um because it's so absurd and so fantastical without like a really good narrative that it just falls apart because it's just these weird flat jokes like over and over um and very unlikable in a lot of ways um i'm not a not a fan at all of little Nikki. and honestly like i've kind of fallen out of any kind of appreciation for sandler in the past 10 years maybe yeah um yeah, you know, you know what, though, it's it's really funny
0: because I really like Sandler as a dude. Like, I, I oh, watch, yeah, there, there's this yeah. great interview on YouTube. And I can't remember if it's Variety, I think it's variety or maybe the Hollywood Reporter where it's him and Brad Pitt having a conversation with one another. Just the mm. two of them. And it's a really great, <clears throat> really great way to spend like like 45 minutes or whatever to just listen to these two guys talk. And. Pritch Pitt showing his appreciation for Sandler and the comedy, and not only the comedy, but the idea that it's like there is like this deep dramatic skill inside of it, like that Pitt says he could never do. And it's really interesting to see these two actors kind of like because they're not geeking out over each other, but it's really interesting to hear like what they appreciate in the other that they're not capable of. Um, and Sandler's just this really like chill kind of uncomfortable dude when it comes to discussing acting and like his performances and thinks he's shit Um, but like this is before I think Uncut Gems and it's like that's his most fulfilled character that he's ever done dramatically to me like even even better the um, Punch Drunk
1: drunk. yeah Um, Rum Punch Love I want to see that movie (laughs) Um, what is that? that's just a movie about you <laughs> um, <laughs> you're you're laying on a divan with like a olive leaf over your your nether regions reading no more for an hour and a half. <laughs> um, Copy, copyright 2022 Frank Pelican. I'm saying it now. Um. All right. So
0: yeah, well, let me. It's it's re- it's really interesting to, to just see that to finish that off and um. But he um ah you're joking so you lose my train of thought frank <laughs> good
1: that's what i'm here for
0: i had the picture of myself
1: in that way and it was <laughs> upsetting somebody's feeding you grapes too who is it because because the answer
0: is <laughs> i was gonna podcast. say because it's not my 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 wife would never feed me grapes so it's it's i knew it was gonna be her
1: um <clears throat> your wife's disgusted in the next room reading some brian sanderson book or something. <laughs> <laughs> uh. It may sound like I've given this a lot of thought. I just created that scenario now. That's not something that's been on my um, no. been on my mind for, you know, decades. Um, <clears throat> did you have a finished thought? Because I had some... I did. I can't hear it. Really you long. go ahead. Go ahead. <clears throat> so, to me, the the thing that I dislike about Sandler over the past 10 years is also one of the things that I like the most about him. And that is his absolute undying loyalty to the people that he considers his friends and his ability to continuously cast the same actors and creators over and over because on one hand i think it's really stale and i don't think that he's done anything funny i don't think he's done a funny movie in like 20 years i'll say that i think he's done some really offensive stuff and some really bad choices but at the same time he keeps a whole group of people you know wealthy and working and he's still you know he has the netflix deal and he is still making movies and i don't know i mean there's something to be said for that for somebody who has yeah. never gotten bigger than himself um you know over the course of time yeah um no no i agree i i
0: like I said, I like Sam Lerner as a dude. I don't think he's done a lot of good stuff over the course of the past fifteen years or so. I mean, it's like when you when, seriously when it's like don't
1: don't mess with the Zohan or whatever. Like that's probably one of the better ones.
0: Oh Jesus, really? Yeah, you, you, um, you need
1: to watch some like fucking Last Mimsy or um or Wrong Mimsy or whatever the fuck that movie's called or. Uh, The one where he plays himself and his sister, Jack and Jill, or Jack and Jane, or whatever the (laughs) fuck it is. (laughs) Uh, I I remember hearing the name of that. I didn't
0: know that's that's what the concept was. Um, it's really funny because like the one review I grabbed of Happy Gilmore was our good friend um, Owen Gleiberman from Entertainment Weekly, who gave it a D plus. But he does say in his the last line of his review, he says that. Um. Adam Sandler like the the thing that it has going for it is Adam Sandler's pitiless confidence as a performer but what's missing is Sandler's charm and that might be some degree accurate because it's like I think the charm that's part of the appeal of the wedding singer is that like there is charm there
1: right you you can see um Robbie uh fuck whatever his last name is um i can't remember you you can see robbie as like i mean seriously this is a dude that is super happy at the beginning because he wants to get married and he loves the idea of having a family and he's out there helping the kid puke in the trash and having just like a Mm -hmm. normal conversation with this like pretty lady and chasing off the drunk that's trying to hit on her you know what i mean like that's there's a humanity to that character that doesn't exist in happy gilmore yes but there's like a violent edge to the comedy in Happy Gilmore that also isn't present in the Wedding Singer, you know? Yeah. So that's and why, I like, I I like the juxtaposition of those two movies, and I think it's crazy that's only two years apart that they're being made. So agreed. I I I
0: think that's one of my favorite things about the Wedding Singer is how over the top they try to make from the very beginning Robbie, just this ultimate baby face. Like every single decision that is made is made to make him this guy oh, yeah. that you sympathize with to the point where it's ridiculous, you know, it's like, and, and they do the same thing with Glenn. They do every single thing possible to make him just like right. the worst guy in the world. Um, and right. To the point where Glenn you know what, though. Here's the thing. Like, <laughs> oh God, are you gonna are you gonna try to defend Glenn in any way? You you, you can't do that.
1: <laughs> All right, fine, I won't. <laughs> All right, uh, <laughs> I can, I can. I want to tell you, but I won't.
0: What? What? Do you? Uh, are you gonna do that girl thing <laughs> where you act happy and pout inside? Um, is,
1: is are you gonna say that that's that's the truth Man, or something? You misogynist. That, um that's, that's a, i know i'm that's, just oh, I'm a okay. joke it was a joke he's a product of his time and himself right oh, sure. Like, he thinks what he's doing is okay and he genuinely thinks the right thing to do is to marry this woman if, even if he intends on cheating on her forever and is a colossal cad i mean he's he's dismissive and he doesn't really understand her as a person But he's not ever necessarily outwardly mean or anything to her. In my opinion. He's condescending and dismissive and... But he's um, like that to everybody. Well, yes, right. And she knows that. You know what I mean? And I'm not saying that it's her fault and this is a completely fictional movie and I don't want to get into like victim blaming or anything Mm -hmm. in a fucking Adam Sandler movie. Right. But when he has to drive her home after she's puking he still drives her home. You know what I mean? (laughs) Right. When she wakes him up in the morning and is like, hey, like, let's get married now. He's like, all right, baby, like, let's go. Let's go to Vegas. Mm-hmm. And that's not, you know, that's, I don't know. He's, he's yeah. a scumbag and he's a cad and he's obviously the villain of that movie, but it's, mm-hmm. to your point, it's an unrealistic portrayal because sure. the whole thing is, yeah. There's yeah. nothing good about him and there's nothing bad about Sandler. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Um,
0: so let me ask you this. Out of the two movies, in your opinion, what is the Best scene or sequence in either of those movies for comedy wise? I mean, that's a
1: good question, but let me say something else first, too. Here's the interesting thing about the wedding singer, and I really just thought about this
0: mm-hmm.
1: Glenn and Robbie are the exact same person, really, in the sense that the only reason that Robbie is marrying his fiance at the beginning of the movie, and I can't remember her name, and they say this is just because he wants a family, because he thinks it's a thing that he should do yes, that'll make him feel right. complete. It's true. And the only reason that Glenn is marrying Julia is because she's stuck with him for enough years of his shittiness right. that it's the right thing to do is to make her his wife. Yeah, And I'm not saying that makes Robbie a bad person or Glenn a good person. I just think there's a lot of parallels there where it's about Robbie and Julia finding them each other and falling in love. But he was in the wrong, you know, before that. So that's why he has you know, like, it's ridiculous. I can't believe I'm about to say this. That's why Robbie has to go on like his own his own private hero's journey, kind of, of like going into the darkness and coming back out to be a better person, so he can find like that true love, because he wasn't in it for the right things before. See, you and know, know what? I guarantee if you,
0: if you if you'd if you'd have come up that shit like two months ago, and I would have like emailed Sandler's people and said that like my friend wants to talk to your boy about the hero's journey of the wedding singer it's so fucking absurd that he might just have done it
1: <laughs> dude i cannot talk to adam sandler i'd fucking throw up or something i don't know i don't know i wouldn't even know what to say to that man <sighs> really you couldn't talk to adam sandler i don't know if he's listening to this but we talked to that dude <laughs> oh, not not, yeah, not I, th- adam sandler. <laughs> I thought you were going to say adam sandler it's like a- <laughs> yeah Okay. He's 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 one of the 32 downloads this will get. now nah, the guy that um the guy that made the movie that we talked to, whose name I can never remember. Um yes. yes. I was a little uncomfortable talking to that guy. Cause number one, he's a stranger, and number two, he's done something with his life. <laughs> and it's like, here's Adam Sandler, this like you know, multimillionaire famous like Hollywood superstar thing, and like I gotta find something to say to him. Right. And he probably just go, Yeah, yeah. Mm. you know eh. if you're listening to adam sandler i appreciate you but we don't need you on the podcast because i don't need to throw up right and Jimmy, and i'm already jimmy jimmy
0: Jimmy custis jimmy Um, custis like uh, i'm
1: I'm sorry jimmy custis because i i really did enjoy your movie yeah it was just it it just it was awkward for me to talk to you because i don't know whatever i'm usually so outgoing zoom calls are weird so what are my favorite scenes from the movies i'm actually i
0: I was going to actually make you choose between both movies but if you have one of each that you would like to discuss um
1: so again my favorite I, i think the best segment of comedy in the wedding singer is uh him drunk at the wedding where he's look at this fat guy over here he's gonna have a heart attack love stinks that that to me is the funniest part of that movie. Um, although my favorite part of that movie is the opening segment where he's super positive, and he sings um, "You spin me right round." Mm-hmm. Um, I I that that actually like gets me hyped up every single time I see that scene because um, there's just so much like energy and joy in that performance of his. Mm-hmm. Um, Happy Gilmore, I think, is the Bob Barker fight yeah. is probably my favorite segment in that movie. Uh, just because the first time you see it and again so maybe this isn't even something that people would like my son would have no idea who bob barker is you know what i mean like it would mean nothing to him mm-hmm. but for our generation because yeah. you know our summers were spent with probably like at best a couple dozen channels like you were watching um price is right at some point in your day during the summer when you were off of school at least like once or twice what a week. else was on at eleven? right and it was like the news wasn't on the cartoons were over like you had the prices right right you wanted to watch that little dude climb the Matterhorn horn and do you know whatever right so to see Bob Barker like cuss and fight and beat the shit out of Adam Sandler Um, which is one of the things I like about Sandler because Sandler will take a bump in a movie like Sandler will debase himself <laughs> yes for for the bit yeah Um.
0: But yeah just hilarious yeah and your and your love of the price story well documented in our yeah. supplemental podcast, the Spin Chagrin, as you it's, made me find the big wheel sounds
1: right. To, do, 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 do. Um, but yeah, like the whole build of that that segment of them being paired together and starting out cordial and then mm-hmm. slightly less cordial and then slightly aggressive and then getting in a fist fight, you know, and rolling down the hill, and Bob Barker, you know, just like throwing throwing jabs and beating the shit out of um. Gilmore, just a really, really good scene.
0: I agree. With, I agree with you on Gil, on uh, Happy Gilmore. My favorite scene, the wedding singer, will always, forever be them auditioning the other wedding singer which is John Lovitz Uh, uh and Lovitz singing his song and then Robbie like going on stage to sing his original song that was both written before and after his breakup and that is that's definitely a Sandler bit of him like you know being like you know happy and then angry but it's Lovitz. As this yes, like it, that, that is scumbag really sitting there <clears throat> all over on the side of the stage says he's losing his mind and I'm reaping all the benefits and yes. slowly pulling that curtain. <laughs> um it's like with that grin, awesome. Like one that,
1: that is a really fantastic scene. You're right. The the reason I like that the breakdown scene where he's saying what stinks is for whatever reason, like whenever I'm making fun of somebody at work uh-huh. about like being excited about something or where I'm feigning excitement for something that's terrible, I always go, "Well, whoop-a-doo!" <laughs> right? And it's directly from you know that yeah, movie. Yeah. So twenty yeah. some years later, I'm still right. You know, whoop-a-doo, <laughs> and I think about Adam Sandler every time I do it. <laughs> so,
0: all right, so. Adam Sinler done so now we are going to move on to two seemingly different movies but you have a way you want to pull them together yeah. um
1: wildly different analytically
0: so the first is 1992's Cameron Crowe movie Singles it is yep. stars Bridget Fonda Matt Dillon and Campbell Martin and Kira Sedgwick it has a 79% from critics a 73% from audiences and the second movie is 1995 movie directed by amy heckerling clueless starring alicia silverstone stacy dash britney murphy paul rudd don Hidea, and donald Faison. it has an 81 percent from critics a 76 percent from audiences so roughly almost ex- like just a few points more for clueless from both critics and audiences which is really interesting so
1: that is interesting um so both movies about love among young people um but set in wildly different um locations and with different tones um but really the same message at heart which is that you know to thine own self be true basically um obviously clueless is an actual you know semi-adaptation of shakespeare whereas singles is just cameron crowe like masturbating on film more or less um because that's what cameron crow does i think but really well here you know like this is my favorite cameron crow movie Hmm. um so they both follow a group of uh young people with the central character um or one of the central characters being a young woman who's kind of unsure of what she wants or how to find love and sort of coming to the realization of number one of sort of embracing who she is and um appreciating herself for who she is and then sort of realizing who she's looking for and the fact that that person's like right in front of her basically um and i'm speaking specifically about the bridget fonda character in singles and uh, the alicia silverstone character in clueless um so singles is set in seattle during the um the heyday of the grunge movement it features um Performances by Soundgarden and Allison Chains and the Melvins and acting performances by the majority of Pearl Jam. Mm-hmm. Um, and also uh, cameos from people like uh, Tim Burton's in it. Um, I don't know. There's just a bunch of people that show up in this movie that are, we're kind of mainstays of like early nineties um, alternative culture. Uh, so Singles is really like, if anything, is the nostalgia pick of this list. It's singles. Um, I was super into uh, that the Seattle music scene in terms of like their music when I was uh, what'd you say, 92? So I would have been like 92. a 15 year old kid. Mm-hmm. Um, really into Soundgarden, really into Pearl Jam, um, uh, Mud Honey, and uh, the Smashing Pumpkins, and all these bands are on the soundtrack. So, right away, like. The soundtrack for this movie is maybe one of my favorite soundtracks of all time <clears throat> but also it was sort of that the era where as a kid becoming a teenager and being on the cusp of driving and going to college and singles to me felt like it's actually the the Kyra Sedgwick um what's the the name of the actor that's the dude that she's in love with uh, fuck Fucking like poor man's Jude, not Jude Law. Poor man's um, Paul Rudd. Uh,
0: James. Anyways, they are No,
1: no, no, not 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 James Lagroes. James Lagroes is the schlub that she. Can no, right, yeah. Yeah. Cucks basically with. Yes. The guy that plays the dude that she eventually falls in love with, Campbell Scott. Right, Campbell, Campbell Scott. Scott. Yeah, yeah, it's Campbell Scott. Yeah. yeah. So like seeing that where there's these two young like professionals that are into like really into their jobs but also really into like the local music scene and um are basically hipsters what we would call them today but it didn't feel like that at the time like there's just this element of like the joy of youth i think in that movie that i really love and watching it today i feel like it's kind of fractured especially in the way that crow directs the movie um with his not really fourth wall breaking, but kind of the way that he breaks everything into acts sort of by telling you like, this is what you're about to see, or this is whatever the central theme of what's coming. Um, and is coy and whatever. I don't want to talk shit about camera crow because I do like camera crow movies sometimes, but, and this one in particular. Um But like I said, with, you know, how I was complaining that there's a lot of movies that kind of feel like A series of related skits or related sketches like that's definitely what singles is like there's not a whole lot of through line to singles although there's some really funny moments that happen with the characters and i think a lot of the characters in the movie are likable um and there's a huge nostalgia factor for me just because of the connection to you know the music of the time um and so if you look at clueless i think the clueless is a similar idea so it's the idea of these different people and from with their own relationship troubles and again very shakespearean and in, in the way the clueless what what is it? taming of the shrew right is yeah it's a, it's or, um, not
0: shakespeare it's um it's uh, uh emma oscar it's wilde like, no jane Austen. oh right oh fuck
1: well ugh, now i like it less um
0: <laughs> emma's a good book
1: yeah. i mean like our story i should say i don't know book I don't, I don't not particularly. it's think. a fine it's a fine book it's, it's 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 a good story it's a good story I, I anyway it's it's it's, it's a, a classic story writing style yes it is very much um i guess it is fucking emma shit it's emma. i was sitting there trying to remember taming of the shrew when i was watching them, But i guess that's 10 things i hate about you right is taming of the shrew yes that's yeah correct. that's a really good movie too there's one you didn't ask me about isn't that in the 90s isn't that like 98 99 something like that <laughs> Sort of, yeah it probably crazy.
0: is is go go is also uh, go.
1: i don't really consider go a comedy though do you i think of go more as like a I don't yeah know, like an overwrought movie video kind of is how <laughs> i look at go um right. <laughs> just because of that south side song or whatever right right i got um it. i i yeah i picked up on it. you're talking about clueless i know i'm trying to collect my thoughts if i but still focusing on these young people who are seeking love and you know don't always necessarily make the right decisions because that's one of the i think the best things about singles is that all these people have flaws you know they're not perfect human beings they're not like sitcom characters necessarily although maybe today they would be sitcom characters but definitely not in the early 90s um and you know you have Drug abuse and single and clueless, and you have promiscuous sex and clueless, and you have, you know, some really subtle subversion, I think, shown in that movie that I really appreciate. Um, and I like all the performances, particularly Britney Murphy and Alicia Silverstone, I think are fantastic. Yes, um, I think that what's his name, the dude from Six Feet Under, the creep, uh, we talked about this a couple weeks ago on. Somewhere. Jeremy Sisto, right? Yes. Um Mm -hmm. like perfect almost like like the proto prototype for uh what's his name? Shamalet, right? In um Mm. Ladybird. But basically like the uh huh a very similar character with this guy that comes off as like aloof and cool but is really just a scumbag in sheep's clothing sort of um and I think that's true. That's that's the Matt Dillon character too, kind of in singles, but the redemptive arc there is that matt Dillon learns that he actually cares for this person and becomes a better person for her um where she kind of transitions from these scumbags into finding a guy that yes you know is right for um which the disturbing thing there is that that's a 16 year old dating a guy who's presumably in graduate school if he's helping his father's law firm right um whereas at least matt Dillon and Bridget Fonda are both adults. In right, in their late like, 20s or 30s or something. Yeah, but There's also a lot of positive body image um, and they're very I wouldn't call them feminists, although probably clueless, you know, because of Amy Heckerling, but I think they're very female positive movies, both of them where it's more about more about empower, the empowerment of women to embrace who they are and like accept themselves rather than yes agree (laughs) be sex objects you know and it's 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 one of my favorite scenes is the one with um who is that bill pullman who plays the Mm -hmm. plastic surgeon yep and singles where um great scene bridget bridget fonda goes to get breast implants and he basically through his awkward you know romantic in you know approach like basically convinces her that she's worth being loved for who she is without getting like you know giant sacks of silicone um i shouldn't even say it like that because i don't want to body shame anybody who makes that decision because it's each their own but in the context of the movie the idea is that you know you're this beautiful charming bright woman that he's super attracted to and you don't need to that if she's doing that just because she wants to get a guy by doing that Mm -hmm. that that's probably not the right reason which um Which I really find to be a positive message and a really great scene in the movie, and um, full disclosure, uh, Bridget Fonda, circa ninety two to ninety six, is maybe my perfect woman. Is that like up up into Jackie Brown, or is Jackie Brown post? Okay, no, no, no. Also including Jackie Brown, Uh, but particularly singles. Really, singles like I. Oh my god, so in love with Bridget Fonda in this movie. It actually, it it was weird because, and this is probably too much to reveal on a podcast, but um, I actually had some like pangs of like heartache and loss, like watching Bridget Fonda in this movie. Like it was like watching a, like a long lost girlfriend because I was so in love with her when I was fifteen years old. Yeah. I dated two girls that had similar features to Bridget Fonda that I did not like just because they reminded me of Bridget Fonda. So and helen hunt too which helen hunt's got that bridget fonda jawline um also in love with her in high school so um i was a weirdo in high school Mm -hmm.
0: i can see that i think bridget fonda is really attractive i mean
1: oh she's gorgeous oh my god
0: i'm going to i'm going i'm not going to do it here because your whole point is not body shaming whatsoever um um but i'm going to show you pictures of 2022 when Bridget Fonda when we get off the podcast and if you want to look that up um you should go ahead and see
1: see what's going on there plus um, I just I I genuinely enjoy Bridget Fonda as an actress like I I like her homespun charm I guess is the way that I would put it that she hmm. kind of imbues and rolls um she feels like a real person when you're she watching does her. she I doesn't agree. feel yep. like like an unobtainable ideal or I don't know she feels like someone that you might actually know in real life and i i always appreciate that so i agree um so yeah so i both of these movies i mean clueless is much more of a comedy than singles but singles definitely has funny elements to it um in particular the matt Dillon character is probably the funniest part um you can ask me what my favorite sequence in both of these movies is because they're both really weird answers i think okay yeah um in singles it it's it's the scene where Eddie Vedder and uh Jeff Ament are in uh Matt Dillon's apartment and they're watching a video about bees and <laughs> Matt right. Dillon's trying to talk about like their next gigs and how they gotta right, right. you know they they gotta not listen to the critics and Eddie Vedder and Jeff Ament are like shh Oh the bees and like they're so into the bees and then she's trying to get his attention and he's completely ignoring hers. so it's basically like this weird cascade of moderate annoyance and ignoring um of people trying to um, impress and ingratiate themselves to other people that don't necessarily care that much about them um at the time right so and i just I, i think that's a really funny sequence and again Pearl Jam, one of my favorite bands growing up, so it was like huge mark out moment for me as a fifteen year old kid to sure. see Pearl Jam in a movie. Sure. Um, Clueless, what's your name? And Clueless, it's it's actually it's not one scene; it's a running gag. Hmm. Um I laugh so fucking hard at the "Rolling with My Homies" thing as being like their song, <laughs> where she's like. Do you remember when we danced to our song? It was so romantic, rolling <laughs> with the right, homies. Yeah. Uh-huh. And they and every time anybody does rolling with the homies, they got to do like the the hand like wave motion, mm-hmm. like back and forth. It's uh-huh. just because that song is so very distinctly like cheesy early nineties, whatever. Um, R and B, hip hop, kind of. Anyway, I don't know. Yeah. Um,
0: no, it's funny, you know. I I had already kind of like forgotten about that running gag, but it, yes, I laughed at that like every time like pretty much that it happened. Yeah. Like it's almost like one of those kind of things. It's like they they hit the right number because it's like it's like it kept increasing in terms of how much I would laugh at it the more it got referenced and they stopped at the right moment to where it didn't go overboard.
1: Like Yeah. And I I i'm a pretty big fan of britney murphy's in general and yes um even more so after watching the hbo documentary about her Mm. um the end of her life and her death which is really it's it's super depressing to to see stuff like that to think about the potential that some people have that's cut like way too short um but here with her you know slight awkwardness into her own um coming into her own agency and like the self-love that's shown there like i, I think is a really great character and yeah. i think her and silverstone play fantastically off of each other um and one of the things i really like about singles or um clueless too and then we can move on is i like when a movie can play someone as flawed and maybe not always completely on top of things but not make them a caricature or a joke You know, Mm -hmm. like there's always Because they're kids in this movie You know, they're 16 year old kids And they're not supposed to be On, like I don't know Making perfect decisions or whatever But they don't treat, like she's not Brittany Murphy's character is Or Ty is not an idiot You know, she's just somebody who I don't know Has her own quirks and idiosyncrasies But they don't ever play her up to be even if the jokes are about her they don't make her necessarily the butt of the joke like there's a very i think subtle distinction between being laughed at and being laughed with and yeah um, I, I, I i i think heckerling does a really good job of portraying these people as i mean over the top characters but still like human beings that whatever have sex and do drugs and Mm-hmm. you know can still be likable it's not like watching 13 or something um sure yeah or I, kids
0: i mean and everybody has a character in that movie like like maybe it like start it's generic but like there's a, at, least, at least a little bit of depth to every single character in clueless yeah. which i really like a lot um
1: even like dan Hidea. yes who is like probably the biggest caricature in the movie Mm-hmm. Or um Wallace Shawn and uh the lady that plays mm-hmm. the um the other teacher. I mean, they're sort of caricatures, but they still have some modicum of depth that makes them feel like something other than a plot device or like, you know, set dressing or whatever. So Yeah.
0: I My favorite scene probably the one that I kind of laugh at the most, I think, in Clueless is when Dion ends up going out onto the highway for the first time (laughs) (laughs) that's a really funny scene and and a lot of it's because of donald Faison, like and and his reactions um and that scene really gets me i i like the scene where she has christian over to the house thinking that she's going to
1: oh seduce him seduce
0: him and yeah and (laughs) i i think that scene's pretty funny um and my my favorite like little joke that like it's like blinking you miss it though is the kid towards the beginning of the movie in the classroom that is trying to be excused because he thinks he's left his cranberry CD on the quad. Right. <laughs> um it killed me the first time I heard because I forgot about that joke. And um I, I would have never remembered it until I rewatched it for the first time in, you know, yeah,
1: 25 years. That's, and that's a topical joke that I can excuse because sure. Yeah. There's still some timelessness to the movie itself. Um right, right. And but, it makes me laugh. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um yeah i i really love clueless i I thought it really held up like i remember watching this wesley's house on vhs like so about a year after it came out probably like 96 and being shocked i think and i think it was wesley that told me that like i think he'd already watched it. it was like you should watch this and we watched it and um not what i expected at all being really surprised by how much i really enjoyed it at 16 and um now whatever 41 like i i still think it holds up pretty well like overall like i there's a some dated stuff but overall it's it's a it's a solid movie i think it still has a good point to it and largely it's that source material i think like in terms of the story itself and um yeah and 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 fucking Paul that motherfucker, fucking Paul Rudd still looks Exactly like, the same exactly as he did. the right. same. <laughs>
1: right. More more power to him, man. I'm... Sure, sure. But still, like, you know, um You know what's really similar as my voice cracks like a thirteen year old. You know what's really similar to um clueless in terms of tone and just general surprise for how good it is is legally blonde, the first one.
0: Oh, yeah. That's, um, I haven't watched it in a long time, but I can imagine that. Sure.
1: Because when you go into it, you're like, this is just going to be some fluff, mm-hmm. whatever. But um, and I actually and we've talked about my love of this movie before, but um, my best friend's wedding, mm. which is something where you don't necessarily expect to me. Like, I obviously no idea like, about anything with that movie and then just blown away by how much I I love that movie. You want to talk about a crazy movie that I have like absolute love for is definitely. Uh, my best friend's wedding
0: we've talked about that movie episode 20 something blah 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 like you know um it's on your top romantic comedies right
1: gonna be on another list someday too i'm telling you huh say so you just so you can watch it again um yeah because there's so many little anyway there, there we are there are that.
0: but um legally blonde the musical i saw done at um the college i work at like five years ago and performance and the production of it was 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 decent but um i actually really like that musical like as well um it's a it's really well adapted into a musical um
1: like i watched that movie stuff like that yeah i watched that movie again maybe about four years ago five years ago and i i thought it still really held up yeah um i I had a, had a
0: i had a co-worker i've never i don't think i've ever talked about him on the podcast for you'll remember me talking about him is my coworker um robert that i worked with at the health department in my early 20s Uh that absolutely loved legally blonde like thought that it was this like brilliant like upending of stereotypes but playing into the stereotype and he would just talk about like both like how brilliant it was like, you know, um, in terms of concept, but like also like the bits in it and stuff like that. And like, you know, this was a guy whose like favorite movie was the coal miners daughter and, but like loved legally blonde, like absolutely. Like, you know, like loved this, like more modern comedy, like yeah. which was um fascinating to me. So
1: yeah, I'm, I'm a pretty big fan of legally blonde. So, yeah.
0: all right. So, Last movie that we're going to talk about tonight is 1991's LA Story. It is directed by Mick Jackson, starring Steve Martin, Victoria Tennant, Richard E. Grant, Mary Lou Henner, Sarah Jessica Parker. It has a 93% from critics, a 75% from audiences. So, why is this movie on the list and um what do you want to say about it?
1: Uh, LA Story was one of the first romantic comedies that I actually watched and enjoyed Hmm. Um, that I watched independent of my parents forcing me to watch a movie how old do you think we were roughly the same time it came out like within a couple years 13-14 I would say when I saw it Mm -hmm. where I don't know I think that I was just really impressed with the hopefulness of it and the the absurdity of certain parts of it. I because mean, obviously the overall um, conceit of Steve Martin, basically Los Angeles mystically helping Steve Martin to find love. Um, <laughs> shit. Telemacher. Uh, fuck, what's his first name? Something Telemacher. God damn it.
0: I anyway, had not, I had not pulled it up on Wikipedia
1: yet. Steve Martin's Um, character, Harris. 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 Harris Telemark. Right. Um. So it's it's already got this like undercurrent of like fantasy and almost like a fairy tale to it, but also is grounded in like a certain reality of the idea that, and this was something that was I think mind blowing to me as a kid that you could maybe love somebody and still be having sexual relations with someone else just because you're an adult. Like it was. Mm -hmm the idea of steve martin and so i found it super unbelievable at the time and so steve martin's probably what like 30 like 40 years old when this movie comes out maybe let's see he's
0: 76 right now which is shocking because he does not look 76 right now having just watched him in only murders in the building but um so he was born in 45
1: so uh 50 so he's 45 here okay but still like a relatively yeah. In general terms, like a young man. I him and Sarah Jessica Parker having a sexual relationship seemed absolutely unbelievable to me when I first saw this movie. Hmm. Um Right. Right. That makes so sense. So it's just because you want him to be with uh the British lady so much in this movie. Like you want them sure. to end up together. And it really is because even though he's kind of like sucked into the that plastic LA lifestyle. Like he still is a decent person and really the only decent person except for his best friends, his best friend and her girlfriend that you see intermittently. Like he really is like the only likable character in the movie, Mm -hmm. but the unlikable characters are never made super unlikable. Like they're not made cartoon villains like what happened in other movies. They just are self-absorbed products of the world that they live in. The fucking Rick Moranis is the gravedigger yeah. scene. Fucking I probably yeah. shouldn't because if you're gonna ask me what I think the funniest scene is, because it's 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 that scene. It's that scene, yeah. Um I can see that. But so much absurdity in it and a really good romantic story while still being a pretty biting condemnation of the disposable um culture and lifestyle at that time. Uh, that was kind of so uh, one of the reasons i thought a lot about what to put on this list in this spot because i didn't decide on la story la story was one of my first choices but i kind of waffled as whether or not i wanted to put it on here Mm -hmm. because i really this movie feels like an 80s comedy when you watch it. it it if but then it also has all these elements that are very almost prescient Mm -hmm. to what's going to come in the next you know four or five years after this which is the bend towards the more absurdist the more um almost abstract comedy of the movies that would come in the mid-90s and you look at um i don't trying to think of a good example so big lebowski if you want to like if we're gonna if if Big Lebowski is a comedy, but the dream sequence is a Big Lebowski. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I think that there's a lot of that that comes from. I'm not saying that the Coens were inspired by, by LA Story, but LA Story definitely sort of foreshadows that comedy in the way that it shows, again, like a talking sign or. Right. The way that it films certain elements that give it like this dreamlike air, especially when they're with each other, you know, there's a very, I don't know, very like almost like soft focus way that they film Martin and, um, what's her name? I can't remember the actress's name. Victoria Turner. Yeah. Um, film them together, which I think is really interesting. And it, it does give it like this fairy tale yeah. vibe to it. And again, is also, it's not a, not to shit on this movie any more than I've already shit on this movie and intend to shit on this movie again as many times as possible in my life. But you look at something like Overboard, which is a very tra- <laughs> very traditional structured comedy. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, sure. There's absurd things in Overboard, but they're all very believable within the confines of the real world. Right. With some minor stretching of your imagination. Whereas there are things that happen in LA Story, like the car turning itself on and luring them to the sign so it can force him to kiss her. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. completely fantastical and ridiculous. And there still are elements of that, like almost honeymooners esque setup, sitcom, comedy that I think was really prevalent throughout the 80s in LA Story. But then there's also the stuff that's more artsy i guess if you want to call it that and there's some really beautiful cinematography in la story too that kind of caught me off guard mm-hmm. that i never really noticed um as a kid and it's probably been it's been at least probably 15 years since i've seen la story and it's possible that it was more than that um but i've probably seen Ellie's story five or six times because i would watch it whenever it was on hbo or whatever when i was younger um, and i rented it a few times actually i think i owned it on vhs if i'm not mistaken but i think it's really cool to see this transitional film where even in terms of you know the actors you know steve martin is behind murphy and Pryor and candy maybe the preeminent comedy actor of the 1980s right you know he's in so many he is what you would consider at the time to be classic comedy movies he's a mainstay on Saturday Night Live for a long time and definitely mm-hmm. you know he's a wild and crazy guy he's King Tut like he's all these things that are kind of very much specific to that era of comedy um sure I mean he's like and then there's things and even though I watched last year not
0: very good there's Roxanne that like stands out like as like a kind of like mainstream at the time and still I think cult comedy hit of the 80s um there's three amigos which is a cult hit like you know right. I mean he's he he's all over the
1: place in the 80s yeah but here he's just a dude like yeah. he's not yeah and again one of my biggest complaints with comedy in general is i can watch daniel day lewis in a role and this is a really probably a bad example because it's comparing like one of the greatest actors maybe of all time. But when you watch him in a role, like he's absorbed into that role and you can almost forget you're watching Daniel day Lewis yeah, or Edward Norton, or, you know what? I'll bring up a character that's in this movie that is sort of hit or miss with this, but Woody Harrelson mm-hmm. is a guy that sometimes can really absorb himself in a role and just be a different character. Sure. And other times is just Woody Harrelson. And is so obviously Woody Harrelson. Mm -hmm. and it's like steve martin is most of the time very obviously steve martin like you watch the jerk right you're watching steve martin but in this movie he is you know harris Delamacher and he's his own character and it's he's charming and he's flawed and he's got a good sense of humor and he makes some bad decisions and you know but he still is like a fully fleshed out character and it just, I don't know, it makes it like eminently watched, eminently watchable, I think, and really enjoyable. Um, and I still really enjoyed watching it this time. So,
0: yeah, uh, just to pick up on a couple of things that you, you mentioned to go a little further with it is like, I think some of the cinematography, some of the best cinematography actually revolves around the Sarah Jessica Parker character.
1: 100%, and, makes, yep. and
0: makes her really appealing, but not in some sort of like um sex i mean she's sexualized obviously in the movie but like not in some kind of gross like m- like male gaze type sexuality like right. she she's young and youthful and appealing to this you know 35 40 year old guy whatever he's spo- like Telemachus supposed to be in the movie um like and and the cinematography captures that i think extremely well in terms of her energy her youthfulness like you know and like how just free-spirited she is and i think the cinematography captures that all really well without making her like this like fetishistic object
1: well think about think about where she's filmed too so she's filmed in the dark neon of the clothing store Mm -hmm. she's filmed in the warm darkness of a bar Yep. She's filmed in, you know, the soft sunlight of a beach. Yeah. Um in the and middle a, of a and, rainstorm. Like she very And and, and there's
0: and and, a, and there's like there's one specific thing when she's twirling and stuff like like the 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 time he's going to like kiss her for the first time or whatever they're outside right. of her apartment. <clears throat> she's film it's filmed in wide shot and she's spinning and it's it's almost like a damn like musical in some ways like the yes. way that she's filmed and um so yeah i I thought that was really interesting with the with the way that character was portrayed and that like this may december relationship wasn't necessarily a bad thing for either of them because
1: well like yeah there's no false expectations on either side and i think that's really that i think that's one of the things that really makes him a great character in this movie is that conversation where he's genuinely going there to say look I love like I'm I'm really into this other person I don't want to take advantage of you and she's like no that's fine I want that like let's still go away right so they're both two adults like making a conscious decision you know to enjoy each other's company however you want to like take that and I and
0: look I mean I think the best scene in one of the best scenes <laughs> in the entire movie is like when they've all went away and, like, they're both having sex, like, on the other side of the wall of the hotel room. And then, like, the two come together and, like, have some kind of feelings about the entire thing. I mean, I think it's, like, just this, like, absurdist level of humor. Like, that, like, anybody, either of them would care. Considering, obviously, they both heard
1: each other. Right. You know, like. um But that also makes the ending of them, because there is that yes that that's the one to me that that's the the strength and the flaw of this movie is i think they i I think it's maybe like 15 minutes too long with too much will they won't they build up to the end of the movie Mm -hmm. but i think when they finally resolve it i think they resolve it quick enough and in such a satisfying way that that extra 15 minutes doesn't matter yeah um, sure. if that makes sense. You know. and i I think it's again, watching this as like a 13 12, thirteen year old kid, I think I was super amazed by the fact that adults could be that adult about things, you know right. that I mean, because I was raised in a pretty conservative religious household in a lot of ways, especially with our morals. Mm -hmm. and I never would have thought that you could have like you know just casual sex with someone like that was crazy to me right and it was kind of similar to how I felt about singles you know it's like like oh my god like there's a whole world that exists outside of what I think about as existing in the world and I think it helps shape especially a lot of the fact that you know we don't really talk about this much but I'm a pretty accepting person of almost anything like I don't trying to judge people or anything i think a lot of it comes from as lame as it sounds like my exposure to movies and seeing like different (laughs) different cultures and different ideas and just making me realize that like a lot of things are acceptable you know if you just don't be a dick so yeah
0: no I, i mean we've talked about it briefly about like i mean you grew up in baltimore like initially but like you've been in the county that we live in and for a long time and we've talked about this a few times on the podcast is how like you know kind of traditional and conservative this county is and like i agree with you 100 percent like and and it's not just movies for you it's reading as well like you know it's 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 novels and and movies and television shows that have kind of right like you know because you you don't Really travel a lot, you know, except for like you know work. Like your vacations are always vacations of like right on this
1: motherfucking couch, right?
0: Exactly, you know. Um, and and I feel similar to you, but I've been pulled to other places, like sometimes. But um, and and I think particularly after like you know, hopefully all this kind of calms down like some degree. Like I think I probably do need to travel and see some things like you know before i'm you dead need, but um, you know we
1: need to travel motherfucker you need to travel your ass back to that bar so we can get plastered <laughs> at least one more time um yeah, well, i think
0: we're both doing fine right now um so <laughs> I'm, I'm depressed because so, you know why you know oh, what, so, i my let me all right so anyway both both of us i think have and i think this is it is a really important thing we've expanded our our knowledge base and like our understanding of others and the possibility of others through art and that's a possible thing you know i mean if we would just like you know look at the people around us growing up a lot of times it's like that might not happen but, like, art can expand your mind to, like, understand different points of view, different cultures, like, all those kind of things. And these are things that, like, I try to, it's the it's the reason I don't teach literature anymore, and I just, like, teach, like, technical writing and composition, is because, like, I could never explain that to 18, 19-year-olds, is that, like, you know, these kind of, reading these kind of things is actually something that can, like, make you grow and think as an adult like you know and like you know look at somebody and see like you know maybe I don't agree with that but it's like okay like I can understand it and like so I I don't like teaching literature particularly to students that are forced to do it anymore but like the reason I'm so keen on that idea is because exactly what you just said it's like you're you and I are the same in that way of like we both a lot of times grew through art. Um yeah. and yeah, I do think I, I have never seen LA story. i have only seen pieces of it on like probably whatever. Fucking like HBO Showtime, That's Cinemax, crazy. like what what whatever like my dad like got like those like little like cable things to attach to the TV to steal um from whatever blue collar job he had. But watching this now, it's like, this is way... 91? It's a, it's a little bit ahead of its time, like, in a lot yeah. of different ways. Yeah. But
1: Absolutely. I do still think it has... It, I think it, it still does has enough yeah. callbacks to the yes. stuff that came before, where you can still feel it. Yes. It's funny that he even, like, he even makes that joke in this movie in a certain way, that he says... What does he say? Like, I've had it for three years. Oh my god, I've had it since the 80s or something like that. No, <laughs> right. no. He's talking about um right. his... His girlfriend's yes. affair with his agent. Yes. Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, what is your favorite Steve Martin role of all time, as major, minor, ever?
1: Probably the Spanish prisoner. Re- oh, uh, ooh, ooh, ooh. We never talked about the
0: Spanish prisoner before. What list does that make, Frank? <laughs> that's an interesting one okay yeah. um yeah um i for Com- con- convoluted huh. crime capers or i don't mm-hmm. know um maybe that's the list of the usual suspect findings makes um
1: but um sure it, it's either that or um we actually have a list gavin Valore.
0: gavin there we go all right it's so comedy purposes though it's gavin Valour, right
1: I miss kind of the men, Liz. I miss of the him. men
0: his cameo in Thirty Rock I think is like one of the greatest cameo comedic performances I've ever seen in my entire life. For what is amounts to what, like maybe eight eight minutes of screen time? Yeah. Like brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Um but yeah, you should that's another you should also check out only murders in the building um i think i think you would find like both the socio um socio-political like commentary like funny like on the subtext but like the the the, the, the economy between an underst like a uh, understated martin and an understated martin short is really good compared to a (sighs) millennial um it's i i really think look you liked enough stuff out of murderville like i i think you would really think that um like the some of the stuff in only murders is funny then if you if you like some of that, is it on
1: netflix hulu
0: you have it you have all of it you have everything frank yeah you spend like fucking like 120 dollars a month on bullshit like you know like come on um you yo know, you know you got it me <laughs> you only think you do um sure. there's our get shorty reference for you that. don't you
1: don't even know you don't even know the streaming services i should <laughs> I, so. I
0: i don't i i'm i'm six months behind on your list that you gave me
1: i said i really
0: i really liked la story just to finish this off i i i never seen the entire thing before i really enjoyed it a lot um and is it it's between it's between that and the wedding singer that i think i enjoyed the most on this yeah re-watching and again um or watching for the first time, but like clueless is clueless is close. Like clueless is close. Um, so I asked you what is your five to one in terms of actual ranking since you wanted to do this
1: differently? Uh happy gilmore singles, clueless, LA story, wedding singer. Pretty easy. Okay. All right. If if we would have if see the problem is if we would have done this as like a list, mm-hmm. I probably still would have been really tempted to put la story as number one mm-hmm. because i think it's a better and more important movie mm-hmm. um but man like i love the wedding singer every time i see it like yeah. i i don't know yeah. what it. it's like yeah it's like the other guys are napoleon dynamite we're just one of those movies that i can just put it on and like let it play and i still will always enjoy Almost every element of it really from yeah. start to finish. And, and man, that soundtrack is so fucking good. It is.
0: No, it absolutely is. And like you mentioned it briefly before, but it's it's a it it's a it's a really good soundtrack. And see, that's how I feel about what you just described as like putting on every single time, like 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 a comfort thing for me. Yeah. And that's what gets shorty is to me. Like, I've never seen, I haven't, I've only seen One Singer now maybe four times, I think. That's the fourth time I've seen it. Not as many as you. But Get Shorty is that way for me. And um Austin Powers is that way for me. I've probably seen Austin Powers over 20 times in my life, is my guess, like, overall. Like, I, I can just watch Austin Powers and just, you know have it on the background and like laugh and you know like all those kind of things just like i can get shorty and um like those are those are probably like my two favorite comedies i agree with you i don't consider fear and loathing a comedy i love fear and loathing it's one of my favorite adaptations of all time um but yeah but yeah i i get it like what you mean about the wedding singer. It's like I can see myself watching that every couple of years now, having
1: rewatched it for the first time in like a decade. um So you know what the funny thing is? Do you know what my number one comfort movie is? What's that? Try and guess. I'll give you two guesses, and then I'll just oh, tell you. Comfort movie? Check Texas Chainsaw. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. Like I could probably watch Texas Chainsaw Massacre once a week and be oh, fine with that. Yeah. Well, you know what, one of my comfort movies are right. And The Shining. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, shining <laughs> is really good movie. So it's fine, right?
0: I mean, but it's like, yeah, I mean, I, I but it's still interesting that it's like a horror movie is a comfort movie, like you know, I mean, and both of them awful, brutal, sadistic movies at their core. Like, yeah. I mean, like, um, <clears throat> it's interesting, but so I do want to bring up. Maybe one or two things if I can remember the second one. Um the first one is do you know who Campbell Scott's father is?
1: It better not be A.O. Scott. That's is a it? really that's a really funny
0: reference. But um Is it but, Ridley um,
1: is it Ridley Scott?
0: No, it's George. Tony Scott. Scott? Oh. I did I huh. had no idea until tonight. Um well, he's a, because, he's he's because a pale, of,
1: pale shadow of his father. I'll give him that.
0: I, hey, no, here's the thing is I actually, I think Campbell Scott's underrated. Like, I've seen him in a number of things through the years, right? Like from this to things more recently on television and stuff like that. And it's like, I think Campbell Scott always does a a pretty decent job of what he's
1: given. Like, yeah, he's fine. <sighs> okay. Let me... Let me tell you who Campbell Scott is, right? Uh,
0: okay. Yeah,
1: break it Campbell down. Scott. Campbell Scott's the dude you know that's like super earnest and always a decent guy, but like you don't want him around. You know, it's like good to see you. Nice to see you, buddy, but I don't care about your life. You know, that's Campbell Scott. Right. With his like almost really handsome features and his <laughs> Great. Almost really good hair, like he's just he's just, he's he's just an almost. Okay, I can't remember my second point.
0: Um, you're you're entirely nailed it on the almost handsome features.
1: Like you're exactly right. Um,
0: out of he's these- a guy. He's
1: a guy that looks like he blinks too much when he walks out <laughs> of the house on a bright day. Like he just he blinks like maybe two or three too many times where he kind like you're like this motherfucker looks like a mole. That's that's Campbell Scott, fucking Blinky. <laughs> I
0: had to cover my mic for that shit. Jesus. <laughs> yes, that that that's <laughs> oddly accurate. All right. Um, what is your favorite cameo out of any of these five movies? Because I can't remember my second point that I wanted to bring on.
1: Hmm. I mean, I I gotta say it's it's the Pearl Jam cameo. Like, okay. Uh, you know no 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 because that's they actually have a role like a speaking role in the movie it's actually um chris cornell in singles is my favorite cameo mm. in any of the movies um so just for context um it's matt not Dillon,
0: moranis
1: it's not because it, you, you mentioned that yeah because to me to me a cameo is a character that walks off says a line or does a thing and then walks on says a line does a thing and then walks off okay like, Rick, Rick Moranis is a bit supporting role in that movie because okay. he has, you know, a dozen lines of dialogue in his memory. Mm, okay. Chris Cornell in... So, Soundgarden was maybe my favorite band for, like, a decent period of time in my teens. um, And I loved, like, Soundgarden, and I wanted to be Chris Cornell, so... There's a scene where um, Matt Dillon has installed a uh, sound system like, and for those that are not 45 years old, um, back in the day, you would put, you know, an amp and subwoofers in your car and you'd go to Best Buy and get them to install the faceplate system in your, you know, replace your regular radio with like a faceplate so you could have like a CD player and shit. Mm -hmm. so sound systems were super important like really important i think and really like big things when we were kids so in the movie matt dillon as a way to try and get back on the good graces of bridget fonda after he's just been a complete asshole to her goes and installs this you know giant set of like um subwoofers and like bass in her hatchback or fucking like hyundai or something like that and has a remote control where he continuously is turning up this um I think it's corrosion of conformity is what's playing in the scene. I can't remember exactly, but like this thrash metal, and Chris Cornell just like comes walking up and is standing there like with this like stoned look in his eyes, like bobbing his head and like yeah, like getting into that music. And then Matt Dillon turns it up one time too many, and all the glass shatters in her hatchback. <laughs> and Chris Cornell's just like, Ugh. <laughs> and that's that's the end of it. And it's it's dialogue free. And if you didn't know who Chris Cornell was, like you wouldn't have no idea, right? who that guy is but to me it was just a really cool cameo especially as a 15 year old kid yeah and you Um, know that
0: spoon man derived from that movie right like came from that
1: uh, like 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 conceptually oh well the the tune to suit spoon man is played in um right when they're in the I, i think it's before they play birth ritual when it's the club scene if i'm not mistaken where the tune the do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do that thing is played
0: so so the so the basis for Pearl Jam for the that that band Citizen Dick right like um yeah <laughs> produces a bunch of song titles like the like to like fictional song titles for that band right and Cornell takes as like this like you know thing that's like you know what and one of them was spoon man and cornell likes like i'm i'm gonna write a fucking song for fucking spoon man um and and that's how spoon man like develops is out of this movie
1: um so you you know um the citizen dick thing is um like an homage to the band mud honey um which was one of the one of like I wouldn't say lesser known because all those Seattle bands had like a decent amount of notoriety or popularity, whatever, in that period of the nineties, but they didn't achieve the levels, the high levels that like Alice in Chains and Soundgarden and Nirvana did. Um, So one of Mudhoney's big songs around that time was a song called um, touch me. I'm sick, uh, which is basically just about being like a scumbag. And so touch me. I'm Dick is just a really funny reference mm, to gotcha to that band so. gotcha um <laughs> and then, dude, fucking matt dylan's you know i mean there's kind of a double meaning to it because right. like yeah because good. like my name's yeah. dick um but also you know like it's my dick right <laughs> and 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 you should touch it <laughs> oh man matt so, matt matt Dillon's an underrated dude especially in like the early 90s not in the movie
0: that we'll talk about next month but um um <clears throat> that's some foreshadowing i don't even get what we are doing one of the episodes for next month is the top five worst best picture winners oh eh. <laughs> <laughs> it's terrible for Miss frank can't, um
1: can't all be winners
0: right but no i i really I, I agree with you i think matt Dillon is underrated um in a lot of his performances but that performance particularly is ugh. did you know that um like warner brothers wanted to turn singles into a t- like wanted to like make it into a tv series and cameron crow claims that friends is was the result of that
1: no that's pretty funny though
0: yeah so it's like possible the singles. If that's true, like, basically created Friends. Like, a show that is still, like, somehow relevant to this fucking day.
1: Like... I mean, if you think about it, it's in essence, that's what it is. Sure. You know, sure. It makes perfect group, sense. Group of
0: people that live gran- in the same Granola, and, granola yeah. yuppie, 20-somethings, right. all right. living
1: in the same building and yeah. having their lives intersect. Sure no they've been lovers they're not lovers anymore they're still friends they're not friends I mean there's a lot of them yeah that's the other thing too so again before we end this podcast is like I think that really helped me mature when I was that age is that idea that like you know Campbell Scott and uh what's her name no 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 the um Bridget Fonda oh right gotcha used to be intimate with each other and then stop being intimate and still are just friends with each other like i was like oh my god like how can they still be friends but i don't know yeah i thought so, so mature quick, watching singles <laughs>
0: <laughs> my my favorite cameo actually and maybe it doesn't fit your definition of the cameo given what you said is that it is it's just like in billy madison it's the wedding singer buscemi cameo oh yeah at the very beginning that that's my favorite one out of the entire thing is this just belligerent fucking relative who's just like you know like like you know acting like a fucking ass the entire like beginning of the movie and then himself like by the end of the movie ends up like you know being this like reformed dude who is you know um wedding singer himself like i i i I, it's like buscemi as a comedy buscemi's cameo in billy madison might be my favorite cameo of all time but wedding singer is up there like as well like
1: so okay so i guess that what you're calling a cameo really is like a cameo role what i'm calling a cameo is more of like a um like a walk-on performance is really like what i'm thinking of yeah um
0: i think of a cameo is something that like lasts like total screen time like less than like two minutes like and like yeah you i think walk on is probably the better role a better term for what you're you're saying so um but yeah um Alright, so look, friend Frank, we, friend, we, friend of we the we
1: podcast, did. Mike Bledsoe, just called me on the phone, which made me un- irrationally angry, and then had to send an apology text because he butt out me. So if you've gotten this far, I Mike think it's Bledsoe- funny that
0: it I think it's funny that it made you irrationally angry rather than made you worried. Well, that's why I was irrationally angry. Oh, is because you thought you had to do something?
1: Well, I was like, oh my god, like, why is it me? Like, what has happened where I'm the person that's You're the called? guy? Right. <laughs> do, you, do, you, do you need something sketched really quick? Like Oh, and... Make up a parody very, song? Like, very, I don't very
0: likely, one of Frank's sketches, drawings might be on the youtube channel of wrestling bios um this in in a couple weeks like um an amazing channel that we both support on patreon yes that both of us support um um but yes frank did a drawing um uh, at, at request of like you know conceptually requested Um, by the runner of that YouTube channel and um, Wrestling Bios, great channel if you're in the 90s, early 2000s, uh, professional wrestling ever. Um, but he has a series called Reliving the War that he every week on every Thursday sits there and watches Nitro and Raw splices together the best clips. And um compares the two shows basically like half hour by half hour. And um, brilliant series. He has a bunch of other stuff on his YouTube channel, like wrestling wise, that's really good. um He's my favorite wrestling YouTuber yeah. like ever. And, um, but yeah, Frank's drawing that he requested of um, what Road, is War- Road Warrior Land. Road Warrior Land, yes. Yeah. So Frank did a. Um, very like Clark's like Korean kind of like animation of to me of like Road Warrior Land like it reminded me very much of like you know what's who's driving Clark- who's driving bears driving that's it yeah um it reminded very much of that with like the like the the, the handshakes of of Hawk and animal and um but yeah no so hopefully that that'll be up here in the next couple of weeks is um hopefully next week um is what does road warrior land look like and you'll see one of frank's drawings if you check out that next youtube yeah. video
1: so very um, um very very cool dude we had a, a really brief but nice exchange via email and um oh, awesome. i don't know I'm, I'm pretty excited to uh yeah if it if it makes it onto the video that you know and if you're a fan to Chris's point like if you're a fan of early to mid 90s to early 2000s um, professional wrestling like if that's the area you grew up his stuff is 100 percent worth uh, binging because he's got hundreds of hours of content yes. on YouTube for free yes. um, that's just really uh well produced and funny and it is genuine and just an, an, an amazing channel that I am 100% every time he posts something within the nearest amount of time I can watch it, I watch it and I like it. Mm. Yeah. And I don't <laughs> do that for hardly anything. <laughs> um, yeah,
0: as somebody who has, has edited videos together at one point in my life, I can't imagine the number of hours this guy spends doing this to produce three 20 to 30 minute plus videos each week it's like sometimes it feels too much to me to just like basically master this podcast that like is like two hours a week and then like one hour to 90 minutes a week like for like the supplemental podcast like, I can't imagine the number of hours that guy puts into that. And he is, and he's found his voice recently to where it's like, I think it's this perfect mixture of being informative being analytical about the time period and being funny about the time period and pointing out the right things to make fun of and like i think really in the past like four three or four months he's really found his voice like in terms of like just being balanced between all of those things um so if you ever liked professional wrestling back in the 90s check out this guy's channel because he is absolutely the um the 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 best like old school like wrestling youtuber out there um all right so next week frank the um either top five black comedy movies or the top five comedies with black creators is on the docket can i ask you one question and we'll finish would mm-hmm. one of those movies have made this list possibly? Oh, 100%. Okay. That's what I thought. Um, probably I, I, probably two, honestly. Ooh, I'll be interested in to hear what the second one is then. Um, but definitely one, I think, like having rewatched it is like, fuck. It's, it's definitely maybe a top five. It, it, certainly, I think, to, in my mind, a top five comedy of the 90s. But um, I just didn't want to bring it up at the beginning. But, um, yeah, yeah, it's um, I, I, I enjoyed the list overall. I'm really looking forward to talking about it next week, except for one movie, which I'm really uncomfortable to maybe talk about. But um, but I'm really looking forward to discussing that list with you. So um, we have that next week. Top five horror movies of 1971 um, at the end of the month and then next month. Uh, we are doing, as I've already said, the top five worst best picture winners. It's one of our punishment podcasts and the top five women in peril movies. And then finishing off the month of March with the top five films,
1: horror films of 1972. So. Um, and one of the chagriniest spin chagrins in a couple of days. Hmm. Right. And the category for that was
0: monkeys doing human things, correct? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was one of your categories just so you know. That was yours. So,
1: Oh, I know. I you know what a, I was setting you did myself up for. Although I didn't know it was going to be this. This was a complete surprise to me, so mm-hmm. fuck me, I guess, but um, you know.
0: You double fucks yourself.
1: Right. It was almost like a wormhole.
0: Hmm.
1: Or, or something weird. i don't know right, right. oh ask all my right wife so their star trek bullshit if that if that's the correct way of i mean if you're in a wormhole you're double fucked i think so <laughs> go watch go watch inception <laughs> not inception the other. well you're like the other terrible one
0: no well inception you're like
1: fucking like quad drupal fucked or something like that like yeah actually i i I was i meant to say interstellar which i actually really enjoyed but
0: i still enjoyed it it a lot more i can't
1: find it free anywhere so yeah well all
0: right thank you for listening to and we we almost made it two hours i think on a comedy episode so
1: thank you the comedy being that we only talked about the movies for about like 70 we talked about the movies about
0: A long time, actually, Frank. So, yeah,
1: like an hour. Anyway, deuces. Happy weekend. Talk to you next week.